Tracy McCauley. And I'm Liz Zuleika. We are cardiology pharmacists, educators, and self-declared literature crusaders. And welcome to Cardioscripts, a cardiology podcast brought to you in collaboration with the ACCP Cardiology Practice and Research Network. On this episode of Cardioscripts, Liz interviews Dr. Kazuhiko Kido about the management of LV thrombus with DOAX or vitamin K antagonists. We hope you enjoy. Today on Cardioscripts, we are so excited to be joined by Dr. Kazuhiko Kido. He graduated from the University of Iowa College of Pharmacy and completed a PGY-1 pharmacy practice residency and a PGY-2 cardiology pharmacy residency at the University of Kentucky Healthcare. Dr. Kido is currently a clinical assistant professor of clinical pharmacy at West Virginia University School of Pharmacy and practices as a cardiology clinical pharmacy specialist in the WVU outpatient heart failure clinic and inpatient heart failure service. His practice interests are diuretic therapy optimization, pulmonary arterial hypertension therapy management, and anticoagulation therapy. His areas of research interests include heart failure, pulmonary hypertension, and perfect for today's episode, anticoagulation. So Dr. Kido, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited about uh, you know sharing the very controversial topic uh, for the anticoagulation. And so today we're going to be talking about LV thrombus and anticoagulation. And we'll be specifically reviewing an article that came out in JAMA Cardiology in April of 2020. And it's titled Off-Label Use of Direct Oral Anticoagulants Compared with Warfarin for Left Ventricular Thrombi. The purpose was really to assess DOAC use and its outcomes in patients with an LV thrombus, and they compared it to warfarin as the standard of care. So this was a retrospective cohort study, and it evaluated outcomes in patients with LV thrombi at three academic medical centers. Uh, The primary outcome they assessed was clinically documented stroke or systemic embolism. In patients who had not experienced a stroke or systemic embolism or a censoring event, which was defined as death, heart transplant, surgical LV assist device placement, or surgical thrombectomy, those patients were contacted by telephone for final ascertainment of events. In the event they weren't able to be reached, um, they looked through the patient's medical record. Events that occurred during bridging with a parenteral agent were considered to be associated with that parenteral agent and not the oral anticoagulant. There were 514 patients who were identified, and of those 514, 300 were on warfarin, and 185 were on a direct oral anticoagulant or a DOAC. Of those on a DOAC, about 76% were on a Pixaban, 25% on Rivaroxaban, and about 5% on Dabigatran. Now, of those patients, there were 64 who switched treatment. And so that brought a total of 236 who were exclusively on warfarin and 121 who were exclusively taking a DOAC. There were 52 of those 64 who switched, uh, 52 who switched from warfarin to a DOAC, and 19 who switched from a DOAC to warfarin. The mean age of patients included was about 58 years, about three quarters were male, 55% white, 73% with hypertension, 54.5% in the DOAC only group, and 62.7% of those in the warfarin only group had ischemic cardiomyopathy. 
20.7% in the DOAC group and 16.1% in the warfarin-only group had a history of venous thromboembolism. About 25% in the DOAC group and 19% in the warfarin group had a diagnosis of atrial fibrillation, 27.3% in the DOAC, and 21.6% in the warfarin group had a prior stroke or systemic embolic event, 17.4% in the DOAC, and 14.4% in the warfarin group had a presenting embolism. The mean left ventricular ejection fraction, or EF, was about 28%. 63.6% of those on a DOAC and 69.5% of those on warfarin were also on antiplatelet therapy. And overall, the mean follow-up was 351 days. So now jumping into the outcomes, there were a total of 54 stroke or systemic embolism events. 17 of these occurred in those taking a DOAC, 14 in those taking warfarin, and 12 in patients who were not taking anything at the time of the event. And they found a higher risk of stroke or systemic embolism, and it was significantly associated with those on DOAX versus warfarin. And so in the univariable analysis, the hazard ratio was 2.71 with a 95% confidence interval of 1.31 to 5.57. And in the multivariable analysis, the hazard ratio was 2.64 with a 95% confidence interval of 1.28 to 5.43. They also looked at death as well. Uh, 14 of those on DOAC and 32 of those on warfarin um, pass. There's a survival curve included in the article, and you can see divergence between those on a DOAC and those on warfarin at about 250 days. Also, in terms of bleeding events, eight of those on a DOAC and 19 of those on warfarin were noted to have had a bleeding event. And so, Kazu, I think even before jumping into the trial, if you we could take a step back, and if you wouldn't mind walking us through what previous data we had up to this point that really has driven practice with regards to warfarin as well as DOAX and LV thrombus management? Yes, definitely. So the first of all, you know, actually we do not have any prospective data for the LV thrombus treatment. So all the existing studies are all retrospective. So that's the really key point for the you know this uh, topic today but you know the for over the last few years you know DOAC has been you know used uh, as an alternative as a off-label you know the off-label use for that the reason is the you know the vitamin k antagonist was recommended in the guideline for the you know STEMI guidelines or american heart association the american stroke associations and then the both guideline recommended the uh, vitamin k antagonist as a first line however the you know that both guidelines were not updated since 2014 or 2013 so therefore the, over the last five years the, the multiple case series showed that dorax successfully treated LV thrombus based on the outcome of LV thrombus resolutions or stroke preventions. However, these case series did not include comparator of the vitamin K antagonist. And then over the last year, couple of multiple, you know, retrospective, retrospective trial study came out comparing the DOAX versus uh, vitamin K antagonist, especially warfarin. And then as far as I know that there are four uh, published uh, retrospective studies available, including this, the Robinson's and the other investigators trials, except for this trial studies actually show the 
possible comparable efficacy of the DOAX you know, compared against uh, warfarin, and also the bleeding rate or comparable or even lower than the uh, warfarin. So therefore, the, all three studies actually concluded that the use of DOAX will be acceptable or you know, reasonable alternative to vitamin K antagonist. However, that you know, this study actually you know show the opposite result as this talk about. And we're gonna you know look into the details. But prior, you know, except for this one's actually, you know, other tri studies supported the use of DOAX. So therefore, this topic is a little bit controversy that you know different from the what we were hoping to see up until on uh, these studies. Actually, we had a almost every all positive studies showing the use of DOAX and uh, you know elevated thrombus resolution rate was about 80 to 90 percent which is great but however there was no comparator so therefore we needed the uh, larger scale studies. Great and Kazu, I think that's a nice lead-in to my next question which just is looking at this trial uh, what are your overall thoughts? Well, so um, this is you know dec definitely you know largest scale retrospective study and comparing the you know warfarin against the DOAX and definitely statistically well designed. This is probably the first trial doing the multivariable logistic regression analysis controlling the pre-specified variables. And then even after controlling the variables, results were retained. The, so it means that it's more robust and also statistically supported for the main results. And then, you know, the outcomes or results are a little bit different from the what other studies showed. So definitely that created the controversy. However, there are definitely limitations that we need to point out. Great. Let's just jump into some of the trial limitations you saw um, when reading through and, and thinking about how we go about applying or maybe not applying to, to our patients with LV thrombi. So this study, you know, as we discussed, definitely strengths are large scale and then more robust statistic control the variables. And then they also, you know, did the multi-centered studies and then and they um, collected the data uh, even though it's retrospective, they call to the patients to verify the outcomes, uh, stroke or systemic embolism, which is very robust, considering that this is retrospective study. However, the multiple you know, limitations, probably the most significant limitation is, that, as Lid says, the outcome, you know, usually the duration of the LV thrombus is three to six months is very common. However, during the first 250 days, there was no statistical significance. If you look at the survival curve, you know, the survival curve shows that the outcome, you know, was separated out after the treatment, you know, over the 150 days. And then, then association occurred after 250 days. So it means that there could be some confounding factors occurred later during the trial, during the studies, and they may have affected these associations. And then a couple other limitations, you know, I want to point out that they did not look at the DOAC compliance. The outcome occurred later. So that could be due to non-compliance of DOACs. Now that, you know, in the clinical setting that, you know, compliance rate of DOACs is a real problem. 
And then flip side is that they did not report a time in therapeutic range. So that could be correlated with the uh, effectiveness of warfarin. So that's another limitations. This study title was very, you know, very appealing, but this is retrospective study. So it means that, you know, we have to be careful about the interpretation. So this is not for causality, just for association. So use of DOAC was associated with a higher event rate of stroke or systemic embolism. However, you know, it does not mean that DOAC increased the risk of the stroke or systemic embolism. Yeah, I agree with all of the above. I think some other things that kind of came to mind too while I was reading through was DOAC dosing that can can mm. kind of be an issue, maybe underdosing. Something else that stuck yeah. out to me was they really didn't go into what other background medications patients were on. They they touched on antiplatelets and the supplement they went into to DAPT or single antiplatelet therapy or P2Y12 inhibitor therapy, but some of the like our RAS inhibitors and, and maybe some other things that we would think about using in our patients with you know, reduced ejection fraction of about 28%. Um, that was something else that I, I wonder maybe could that have potentially played into that survival curve that you had touched on? Yes, that's actually a really great point. So, you know, the, when we think about the two scenarios for the LV thrombus, the first scenario is the non-ischemic cardiomyopathy. So in this case, the reversible cause of the LV thrombus is due to the lower ejection fraction. So it means that uh, if patients are on a different GDMT between two groups, you know, that could affect their ejection fraction recovery between these groups. So that could affect how high the LV trauma risk is over time. So I totally agree that not reporting the GDMT for heart failure with UCF may be a huge confounding factor, especially for non-ischemic cardiomyopathy. And then for the ischemic cardiomyopathy, you know, it, it does not mean this is due to the, you know, STEMI and the, however, the, you know, I'm a, you know, based on the assumption the ischemic cardiomyopathy they reports is that due to the you know STEMI, which is the most common reason for the LV thrombus, these patients usually, you know, three to six months because the, after treating the STEMI, you know, technically reversible cause of the LV thrombus are removed. So up to three months to up to six months of the anticoagulation is very common. So my, this population may be less affected by G, but I totally agree that non-ischemic cardiomyopathy populations that, you know, use of the GDMT should have been included as a variables for the multi-variable analysis. A patient comes in, just had a STEMI, you guys detect LV thrombus. Um, how are you, how do you go about managing this patient and what do you think about in terms of how you choose your anticoagulant? Yes, so two big scenario that I talked about so basically, STEMI causing the LV thrombus versus the non-ischemic cardiomyopathy causing the LV thrombus. That's probably a little bit two different scenario. Uh, if we talk about the STEMI causing the LV thrombus, that scenario, you know, the guideline even says anticoagulation duration is, you know, three to six months. Even actually, a STEMI guideline says three months of vitamin K antagonist. So they acknowledge that you know these short-term anticoagulation will be enough because the reversible you know cause STEMI will be treated you know by the revascularizations and then usually ejection fraction will be improved better than the noise ischemic cardiomyopathy in the long term. So it means that this data 
is not giving additional negativity of using the and then and you know couple of multiple retrospective study came out you know supporting the use of the DOAC even some retrospective actually included the STEMI populations and then showed that no significant difference in LV thrombus resolutions or stroke rate so uh, I, I feel definitely comfortable recommending the DOACs uh, however that it's not barrier agents so you know options you know includes the DOAX and the vitamin K and based on the comorbidities you know that guides one or the others but if patient has a higher risk of the bleeding you know we know that uh, you know now on the durantiplatelets at least P2I12 inhibitors and now anticoagulation so that could justify the use of DOAC and also this study did not separate the outcomes until 250 days so probably that population should not be from the and majority may not be from the uh, ischemic cardiomyopathy. And so the study actually looked at the subgroup analysis based on types of cardiomyopathy. So patients with ischemic cardiomyopathies, there was actually no significant difference in stroke or systemic embolism rates between DOAC and warfarin groups. However, there was still significant difference in patients with non-ischemic cardiomyopathy between DOAC and warfarin groups. So therefore, the further evaluation definitely needs to be done regarding the difference in the outcomes based on the type of cardiomyopathy. So since the landmark analysis of this trial study showed that the patients who had anticoagulation after six months, there was no significant difference between DOAC and warfarin groups. That tells us that in the patient with ischemic cardiomyopathy may have very comparable efficacy from the DOACs and the vitamin K antagonists because the patient with ischemic cardiomyopathy usually have anticoagulation treatment for you know, three months or up to six months. And on the other hand, the patient with non-ischemic cardiomyopathy tends to be on longer duration of anticoagulation because the risk factor of low ejection fraction persists over time. Therefore, the patient may stay on anticoagulation longer than the six months. And since this study showed that the associations between the DOAC and the warfarin started seeing after 250 days of treatment, these patients with non-ischemic cardiomyopathy tend to be more applicable from the these clinical studies and then there is a still concern and the further study definitely needs to be done to evaluate the use of the DOACs in the patient with non-ischemic cardiomyopathy compared to the ischemic cardiomyopathy. Well, Kazu, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule with the fall semester just starting. Really appreciate getting to talk to you about this. Coming soon on CardioScripts, we will be rejoined by Dr. Steve Dunn for another episode in our classic series, this time on the management of ACS. Thanks for tuning in to CardioScripts. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please tell your friends and subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at CardioScripts and check out our website at CardioScripts.com. Thanks for listening. The views and opinions are those of the individuals on today's episode. The ACCP Cardiology PRN is not responsible for the presented content or its accuracy.